Comics Guys Explain Moon Knight. Yes, thank you, Ben. Uh, this time we're talking about one of my all-time favorite characters, Moon Knight, um, who many people have just been uh, introduced to in the uh, TV show. Um, so, Darren, what is Moon Knight's first appearance? Moon Knight first shows up as kind of a bad guy, as a as the antagonist, basically, um, in an, in a story in Werewolf by Night number thirty two, which came out in August of nineteen seventy five. So Moon Knight as a character is about forty seven years old, and so let's kind of like fill you in a little bit about that. So Werewolf by Night had been part of the explosion of horror characters that Marvel had put out in the wake of the relaxation of the comics code. And so if you go all the way back to our comics code episode, where we talk about how, uh, you know, many kind of like horror concepts had been banned by it, like vampires and zombies and werewolves and that sort of thing. The code basically being relaxed on that led to just a, you know, tidal wave of old-timey horror-type characters. This is when Marvel was doing Tomb of Dracula and all of those, you know, like great Ghost Rider. You know, those characters were all kind of like introduced in this wave. And part of that wave was a werewolf character. And he was really not quite as popular, not quite as cool as Dracula or Ghost Rider or other stuff, um, but, you know, popular enough. And it is basically the adventures of a guy named Jack Russell, um, which is revealed to be an Americanization of, of uh, Rusoff, basically, that he's actually Russian. But that name kind of tells you how seriously Marvel was taking this, right? Like, we've literally named him after a dog. And Jack Russell would travel around the country. He had been cursed with werewolfism. And so he basically became another version of the Hulk, right? Like, he's traveling around the country looking for a cure to turn him back into a normal person, except that, uh, you know, where Bruce Banner is a scientist, this guy was a mystic and an occultist, um, and he was trying to find all of these occult ways to be cured of werewolfism, and incidentally traveling from town to town, running into, you know, uh, uh, stories, basically. And by 1975, many of those horror titles had kind of like swung all the way back around to being superhero titles, right? The horror stuff that was pure horror, except for Tomb of Dracula, really hadn't sold. Um, so Ghost Rider was now fighting supervillains. And, you know, all of these other characters were, you know, Tigra had become more of a superhero character. And Werewolf by Night had become kind of more of a superhero character, right? Like he, had, he was dealing with guys wearing costumes and that sort of thing. So uh, the series is at this point being written by Doug Mensch with art by Don Perlin. Um, and Doug Mensch, if you want to know more about like his story and his long history of fights with Marvel, you should go back to our Shang-Chi episode because he's the main guy for Shang-Chi as well. He's having a heck of a couple of years here as far as like his characters uh, getting famous. So Mensch was the writer of Werewolf by Night at this point. And so he did a very kind of like standard uh, story in which we have this secret organization called the Committee. And the committee is a secret conspiracy of bad guys wearing suits and that sort of thing who, you know, sit in the shadows and are secretly controlling everything. And they would later be revealed to be part of the secret empire in kind of like the Marvel unified secret organization theory that, uh, you know, kind of like brought a lot of those together. But this is before that. So the committee is yet another collection of like guys in suits. And they decide that they want to get hold of a werewolf so that they can learn how to make werewolves themselves, and then they could have a secret army of werewolves, 
and they would sell those army the, those werewolves to other criminals or to the government or something and we would have a whole army of werewolves which would no doubt be terrible for everybody and so they want to kidnap jack and bring him in and study him and they send a guy to they hire a guy to do this and the guy that they hire is a guy called moon knight and Moon Knight is wearing a costume that is, even at this point, this very early, is very similar to the one that he will make famous, right? Um, he's got the, you know, the hood, the mask, the, the outfit and everything. But this is kind of like a key part. People always wonder, why does Moon Knight wear white, right? Why is he wearing this almost kind of like grayish white costume um, if he's trying to sneak around in the dark? It doesn't seem like that makes much sense. And that's been kind of like retconned, right? Like Moon Knight himself jokes, he likes it when people see him coming. But the real reason his costume looks like that is because when he was first created, he was designed to be a guy who was fighting werewolves, right? And so his costume is silver. It protects him from werewolves. And that's why the color scheme is the way it is. There's like silver thread woven into the outfit that he's wearing. He throws silver needles and he's wearing silver armor and he's got like cestai around his like gloves that's made of silver. So when he punches a werewolf, it hurts more. And everything about him is designed to be the guy that you hire. Like he's an expert on werewolves. And so he goes out and he confronts uh, our hero werewolf by night and just beats the snot out of him and brings him to the committee. Incidentally, he also winds up kidnapping Jack's girlfriend as part of the story. Um, and so she's like been brought along for this. And so the end of his first issue, Moon Knight has just kicked the spit out of Werewolf by Night because he's just armed with everything silver and has delivered him to this committee who's going to like dissect him, basically. Um, and then in the second story, the part two of the adventure, number 33, Moon Knight himself kind of discovers for the first time who it is that he's working for. Right. He kind of like learns part of what the committee is actually up to and comes to kind of the conclusion that he doesn't really like these guys. Right. And even though he's a mercenary who's working for hire, um, he decides that, you know, this this committee group, they seem to be all full of crap. I don't like them at all. And so he lets uh, Jack out of his cage. Basically, he helps him escape. And the two of them uh, beat up all of the committee's guys, you know, all of their henchmen and everything. And the two of them and Jack's girlfriend all escape together. And that's the end of the story. Happy ending. Moon Knight disappears off into the distance and we will probably never see him again. Right. That's all the level that like the of, of importance that he has in his first story. So Marv Wolfman was the editor of Werewolf by Night at that point. And... He is, he reads this story and he's like, dude, this guy's super cool, right? Like this guy has a great look. Don Perlin did a great job on his outfit. He's got a great kind of like stick to him. Who, what's the rest of his story, right? Is he only just a professional monster hunter? Cause that would be kind of cool, right? If that's your idea for him, let's turn him into a professional monster hunter. And maybe we could do more stories where he's out there trying to catch monsters. And Doug Mensch looks at it and he's kind of like, he gives it a try, you know, kind of like th to throw out some ideas. And he's just like, you know what? I'm just not interested in him as a monster hunter. It's just not that interesting a character. You'd always be having to do this same story of like, I go out and I find a monster and it turns out the monster isn't so bad, you know, kind of thing. It seems like you would get the same kind of story over and over again. And Marv says, well, I hate to lose this costume. I hate to lose this look and this name and everything for it. See if you can come up with something else to do with him. And so Doug Mensch 
like many of the Marvel guys at this time, keep in mind, this is, you know, this is mid seventies Marvel, which means there's like six or seven guys are doing the vast bulk of the writing. They all live in New York city. They're all friends. They all hang out socially. Marv Wolfman, Len Wein, Jim Starlin, uh, Doug Mensch, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jerry Conway, though he's a little younger than all of them, Roy Thomas, they all live within 20 blocks of each other. They hang out, they drink together, they watch TV together at each other's apartments and everything. One of the things they all have in common is that they are big pulp fans. And this shouldn't really surprise anybody because nobody in the world is a bigger pulp fan than Roy Thomas. And Roy was the guy who was hiring all of these people, right? So it was a great way to get on Roy's good side was to like, you know, talk to him about pulp stuff. Um, and so Doug was absolutely not kidding. You know, he was also a 100% super pulp fan. And so he was looking at Moon Knight and Marv Wolfman was kind of leaning on him to actually use him in something. And he said, well, you know, Batman, DC's got Batman and he's kind of like, you know, DC's version of the shadow, right? Like he's, they're, they're making you much more into the dark, mysterious guy of the night. You know, the TV show was over and, you know, like post that in the 70s, they're probably making him kind of like dark and mysterious and playing up his spooky vigilante kind of like story. DC should have, uh, Marvel should have somebody like that. We don't want to really do Batman, but let's also do our own version of the shadow because we're draw- we'd be drawing on the same roots that Batman is drawing on. Right. And let's make a character who will be Marvel's version of the shadow will basically be a pulp character. And that's kind of a new thing at the time. There were not a lot of like pulp characters coming back. Eventually they, they would bring back a bunch of them. But this Doug Mensch said, okay, I'm going to make Moon Knight into a modern version of the Shadow. And so Marv gives him two issues of Marvel Spotlight, which was basically the tryout book that Marvel had at the time, and said, okay, go ahead, give me a two-part story that tells us who Moon Knight is. And in this story... Uh, with the first kind of Moon Knight solo adventure, we learn his name is Mark Spector, that he used to have a life as a mercenary. We don't know any details about it yet. We certainly don't know where he got his the identity and anything. And he is fighting organized crime. He has a whole bunch, like the Shadow, he's got a whole bunch of sidekicks, right? And so we meet the fact that he's got his chauffeur, Frenchie, who not only drives his car for him, but also flies his helicopter for him. We meet his butler, Samuels, and we meet his hot girlfriend, Marlene, who's kind of like, you know, um, uh, you know, the shadow's girlfriend, right? Like these, uh, she's uh, equally, you know, comfortable in a cocktail dress at a high end party or sneaking around in the shadows, you know, helping the Moon Knight deal with his, you know, with, with his, his adventures, basically, right? That she's a badass, you know, crack shot and, and all of these other things. Um, and like the shadow, he's got multiple secret identities, right? Like Batman's kind of a piker. Right. Like the fact that he's only got one secret identity, that's just from the shadow's point of view, that's just not even trying. Right. The shadow in his own comics, his real name was not Lamont Cranston. Right. Um, And Lamont Cranston was just another identity that he had created. Right. He was really pilot Kent Allard, uh, who had adopted the Lamont Cranston Cranston identity. Lamont Cranston actually had been a real guy. And then the shadow also had a zillion other uh identities that he could slip into at a moment's notice right and so moon knight has three secret identities mark specter the 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 former mercenary stephen grant the super wealthy millionaire playboy and jake lockley the cab driver right those were the three that are introduced just in his first story 
And it's kind of established that he's probably got others, but those are the only ones we actually see in just this two-part comic, right? And like the shadow, he's also got like a million contacts out in the streets to help him. And part of the gig with the shadow was that if the shadow saved your life, you owed him, right? Like he would always come to you afterwards after he had saved you and said, now you owe me. Here's my ring. When I call on you later, then this, this, is the, this ring is the symbol that you're one of mine and I can call on you later for help, right? So if I've got a crime, if you're a jeweler and I've saved this guy's life, then the next time I'm on a crime situation where I need to know stuff about jewel about jewelry, I come to you and you'll fill me in, right? Or whatever. So there was like, you know, hundreds of people who owed Moon Knight their lives uh, in some way and owed him favors that he could call upon. And so in this story, uh, he fights a villain who is called Conqueror Lord. And most of this information about Moon Knight is revealed the same way the bad guy learns it, right? Like the bad guy is having his, uh, you know, crimes are being thwarted by Moon Knight right and left. And he's like, who is this Moon Knight guy? And so he pays some informants who come back and basically tell him this. So it's like the audience learns at the same time the bad guy does. And he tries to defeat Moon Knight and he gets his ass kicked and Moon Knight wins. And that's the story. Now, most of the time he's being Steven, right? Because that's the version that's the most useful in this story. And there's really no explanation where Steven's money comes from. And it kind of is a running gag, especially in the early issues of Moon Knight, that like we don't really have a good explanation for why Steven's got all this money. If he really had been a mercenary for most of his life, right? Like how good a mercenary was he that he suddenly had, you know, like a multi-million dollar Playboy lifestyle, right? Um, and so it's been kind of like suggested after the fact that Moon Knight did some criminal shit to get Stephen Grant's like fortune put together. Right. And so it's kind of a, you know, but even at the beginning, there's kind of like a, where did you get all this money? I'll tell you later. And then he never tells it. Right. He never explains the story. So it's, a, you know, even from the beginning, it's kind of like a running joke of the character. So, okay. Two issues of Marvel spotlight. Are they a hit? Eh, not really. They don't sell that well. They're certainly not big enough that anybody's in like a big rush to do a Moon Knight series or anything. They weren't terrible. And several of the people in the offices at Marvel once agreed with Marv that, you know, this the visuals of this guy look great. And, you know, like we should figure out what to do with him. So several other writers over the next two years kind of take a shot at him. Mensch, who created him, doesn't write him again for a while, right? Um, and uh, in the next like kind of year and a half, basically, uh, David Kraft and Keith Giffen put him briefly in the Defenders. And the Defenders at this point is kind of a team that's made up kind of a catch-all kind of team of weir- random weirdos. Um, Doctor Strange had left the team at this point, so it's a bunch of characters who are just kind of friends working together, like Nighthawk and Hellcat and those guys. And they are in a story where they are basically fighting. Um, Nick Fury's uh, brother is a criminal. Jake Fury is a criminal. He's uh, working under the name Scorpio, and he has a secret agent, the, the, the secret agency that's part of the whole Zodiac organization. And so uh, we learn that, uh, you know, while Nighthawk and a couple of defenders are like fighting this, solving this from one side, Moon Knight's been investigating them from the other, right? And now that we've established that Moon Knight is a straight up good guy. Uh, in that Defenders story, we learn that he was actually only working for the committee as part of his secret plan to infiltrate them, right? He wasn't really a mercenary. 
uh, and he wasn't really a bad guy. He only took that job as part of his plan to, uh, you know, reveal the betray the committee anyway, right? So we retcon that story immediately and say, no, Moon Knight is a straight up good guy. He was just investigating them. And now here he is hanging around with the defenders. And he gets like a five issue run in the defenders where he doesn't really join, but nobody really joins or quits the defenders because it's not really a formal team. Um, and in that story, David Kraft clearly, clearly writes him like Batman, but he's like seventies Batman. He's a very kind of like a, a relaxed guy, right? Like as opposed to the whole, you know, dark Avenger of the night, Moon Knight's got a sense of humor. He's kind of casual. He doesn't have all the cool stuff that Batman has. He's got a bit of a snarky sense of humor. Um, at one point in the story, uh, Jake uh, Fury has trapped him in a room that is filling with water. And he's watching from above. And Moon Knight's, you know, treading water as he's seeing the water level kind of like rising up to the surface. And Moon Knight basically asks him, since I'm about to die anyway, can you explain to me what's going on? Can you like tell me your secret plan? And Jake like cracks a beer and says, sure, you're about to die. I'll explain it to you. And Moon Knight says, can I have one of those beers too? And Jake kind of looks over and takes one of his beers and throws it to him in the water. And Moon Knight is treading water and drinking a beer while they're talking. And Jake is explaining the plan, right? And by the time he's finished it, it, like there's only like, you know, two inches of air left. And Jake is just like, well, so long. It was nice talking to you, whatever. Now you're dead and leaves. And Moon Knight takes the beer can, which he has emptied. He pounds the beer. And now that the beer is full of air, he like turns it over in the water. So there's still oxygen trapped in it. And he uses it as like a scuba thing to actually get down to the bottom and like figure out how to open the, the drain in the room and escape. Right. It's hilarious. It's a really funny bit. And it's exactly like Batman would never do this. <laughs> right? I can't imagine Batman asking a villain for a beer. That doesn't seem like a, you know, a very Batman-y thing sort of to, to do. And it kind of like separated Moon Knight, you know, like out as like, oh, this is kind of a new interesting character that we haven't really seen this style of, of stuff before. Right. He then teams up with Spider-Man in a spectacular Spider-Man story. He teams up with the Thing in a Marvel two-in-one story, right? They're still establishing that he's out there, but like different writers are taking shots at him. And in uh, 1978, the Hulk got a magazine, right? Like a big oversized magazine, because that's when the, the Hulk TV show was huge and Hulk had become the number one kind of Marvel character. And so separate from his comic, they were publishing an oversized Hulk magazine. And they needed more features to be the backup stories in the Hulk. And they asked Doug Bench to come back and write more Moon Knights for him. And so Moon Knight became an eight-page backup feature for the next 11 issues of The Hulk. And this is where uh, the first – this is where we really like get some background for Moon Knight at all. This is where a lot of this, the details of his origin start to come out, right? Um, we don't hear about Bushman yet. But we do hear that he was part of a group of mercenaries who were betrayed, right? And so that, like, part of his, you know, story of, like, why he is the way he is is because he was part of a group of mercenaries and they left him to die. But that we don't know the details. We first meet Randall, his brother, um, in these stories. His brother becomes uh, a, you know, basically a serial killer, a mon uh, you know, like a, a madman uh, who is referred to as the hatchet man because he kills people with hatchets. Um and that, you know, kind of becomes a plot element for the first time in these first, like, 10, 11 issues of, of, uh, of, of the Hulk, right? 
Um, and the first time the idea that he's crazy comes up is in these stories. And it's mostly from Marlene making fun of him. Right. Mm -hmm. Marlene kind of like calls him on the fact that over the course of these 11 issues, we see him having a hard time keeping his secret identity straight. Right. Like it's just, it's, it's so complicated to like, remember to be all of these different people. And when she sees him slipping and when she sees the identities kind of like blurring together a little, she basically makes fun of him for it and asks him if he has a split personality. Right. And it's really the first time the suggestion has ever been thrown out that Moon Knight's not really entirely in control of having all of these identities. Right. Up until this point, Moon Knight was like a master detective and a master crime fighter and totally in control of everything like the shadow. Right. And these stories are the first ones that kind of make him a little more human and a little more like I, there, there's kind of a couple of things that are wrong that are off about this guy. Right. So that runs until the end of 1979. That's where he is. And um, at that point, once again, uh, you know, the editors at Marvel are like, we're, we're, we're looking to expand the line. Uh, everybody liked those Hulk stories. Everybody loves this character. You know, uh, Doug, do you want to do a full-time monthly Moon Knight series? He says, sure. And they say, okay, we'll do one more preview. This time we'll do it in a different comic. It's in Marvel Preview, not in a um, Marvel Spotlight. And so there's one issue of that that comes out in March of 1980. And that is not only Doug Mitch, but it's the first time Bill Sinkovich uh, does the art. And Bill Sinkovich at this point is just a baby. He's just a kid, right? And he has not done all of the stuff he's going to do in you know, the, the other Marvel comics he's going to work on. He hasn't done Elektra yet. He hasn't done New Mutants yet or any of that stuff. He's just kind of finding his way. And so uh, Sinkovich and Mensch uh, basically get, you know, the, they do that one Marvel preview story together. And then Sinkovich becomes the regular artist on Moon Knight, starting with volume one, number one, which comes out in November 1980. And it's brilliant. Sinkovich at first is very much kind of like aping Neil Adams. Um, but over the course of the next two or three years, his art will just change amazingly and become the Sinkovich that we know later, right? Like he kind of goes from, you know, ripping off Neil Adams to ripping off Ralph Steadman to, you know, ripping off Gustav Klimt, right? Like, I mean, the art just expands in, in what he can do and the kind of like impressionistic, uh, storytelling that he's capable of. And it's Moon Knight where it first works out. So if you're a Sinkovich fan at all and somehow have missed these stories and you want to see where Sinkovich becomes Sinkovich, get these first you know issues of, of Moon Knight. Um, in that series is where we get the full story. Like that starting with issue number one, volume one, number one, we learn his entire origin. And this is the first time Khonshu shows up. Right? There's no Khonshu in any of the Moon Knight stories mentioned at all anywhere until 1980. Khonshu hmm. appears in that first story where we learn the first origin, where he is a group of, part of a group of uh, mercenaries led by Bushman. And, uh, you know, Bushman, he, he, you know, he fails to kill the people that he's supposed to kill, and Bushman shoots him along with everybody else uh, and leaves them for dead in the desert. But somehow he doesn't die. And he gets up and he's like walking the Egyptian desert at night under the moon and everything um, while clearly in, you know, delirium after having, you know, taken several bullets. 
um, finds Kanshu's tomb and temple uh, and kind of like staggers inside where there is a model, you know, there's a, there's a mannequin basically wearing the Moon Knight costume, wearing the hood and the, 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 the cape and everything, right? And he hears Kanchu's voice in his head, uh, offering to make him his, you know, to, to, to become his knight, to become his avenger, that sort of thing. Um, and he puts on the uh, cape and the cloak and is, you know, like passes out on the, uh, you know, on, on the steps of the altar, basically. And when he wakes up, he is feeling much better. He is remarkably healed from his injuries and he begins his life as Moon Knight, right? He goes back to America and starts fighting crime. And over the course of those first few issues, tracking down Bushman is a big chunk of the plot, right? Um, this is the introduction of all of this like Egyptian mysticism. At no point are we like supposed to be sure whether Kanju's real or not, right? Like it's a voice that Moon Knight heard and his wounds did heal really kind of like remarkably. But apart from that, nobody else, you know, ever hears the voice or anything. Moon Knight doesn't have any other powers or anything yet. He doesn't do anything supernatural. So is Kanshu really real or, you know, kind of like part of just his, you know, craziness? We're not really sure. Uh, the DID gets kind of like tossed away. Nobody, Mensch isn't really interested in that as a plot point. Um, so Moon Knight is now, you know, kind of like back in control of all of his identities. Um, the fact that he is Jewish is referenced for the first time. Mark Spector as a name is revealed. And basically, uh, Mensch will say, um, he's Jewish because I named him after a guy who went to my comic shop with me, whose name was Mark Spector. And I thought Mark Spector was a super cool name for a superhero. And then I discovered after the fact that that guy was Jewish. So that meant my guy was Jewish. And so that was where that, that became like part of his character, basically, is that he didn't know that Mark, the, the Mark Spector he named him after was Jewish until a couple of years later. Moon Knight is, uh, with, becomes critically acclaimed. Everybody loves the Sinkovich art. Everybody loves the storyline, the cool Egyptian mysticism. The sales, eh, it's kind of middle of the road. It's never really kind of like fully taken off. And it's right around here in 1982 or so that the big push to direct sales begins, right? The existence of comic shops at all and that sort of thing uh, becomes a part of Marvel's marketing plan. Um, they kind of like take the distribution channels that they had that were aimed at head shops and stuff in the first place and the comics that were doing well in those kind of places, right? It's not the comics that were selling in the grocery store or the comics that were selling on a newsstand or something like that. It's the comics that were selling well in the shops that also sold you, you know, blacklight posters and bongs. Right, Moon Knight was one of those, along with Doctor Strange and a few others. And so, because it had sold so well in those kinds of shops, as that market closed and was kind of like replaced by full-time comic shops, uh, Moon Knight became one of the first comics that Marvel was uh, making direct sales only. They basically took it off the newsstands and made it something that you could only buy in a comic shop. And they spent more money on it. They used nicer paper. Right, they had better uh, like art processing and everything on it on the fancy uh, you know uh, paper that they were using, um, and so starting with issue number fifteen of Moon Knight's own comic, you couldn't get it on the stands. So like the 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 sales went down, but the amount that they were making per sale went way up because they were selling them non-returnable to a comic shop. Right, Sikovich lasts thirty issues, 
on this to- uh, total. He does a 30 issue run um, before moving on to do other stuff. He after number 30, he still did a few t- a few covers because he really loved the character. But he was looking to do some other stuff, and it was right around this point that he was working with Frank Miller, and he was working with Claremont on uh, New Mutants and other stuff, and he was basically making bigger checks, writing bigger, or doing the art on bigger comics. Um, so several other people do the interior art with Mensch, continuing the scripting. That goes up to issue number 37, and it's issue number 37. Once again, if you go back to the Shang-Chi story, that's where Doug Mensch quits. Jim Shooter basically drives Doug Mensch away. Um, by harassing him. Um, and Mensch decides, I'm not doing any of the things that Shooter is ordering me to do, and I just quit. So he quit basically halfway through an issue, right? Like one sc- the script for issue number 37 was half done when he left. And so Shooter hired Alan Zelenitz to finish issue 37 and then do one more issue to kind of like bring the story to sort of an ending and then canceled Moon Knight with number 38. By that point, you know, like the sales had 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 dropped off, and they were doing other things. The comic shop market had kind of like blown up, and they were selling everything through the comic shops anymore. Now that's the idea that Moon Knight was somehow special, you know, because it was part of this uh, this original program had kind of fallen by the wayside. Everything now is selling through direct sales, and so, you know, we're done with uh with with, with Moon Knight as a series. It hadn't been paying for itself. Right. Um. So that can, that was canceled in 1983. Moon Knight kind of disappears for a couple of years. In 1985, Alan Zelenitz writes a six-issue limited series, bringing Moon Knight back, basically. In this situation, in this storyline, it's basically it's just a six-issue story. And it's all about the Egyptian mysticism. It's all about the Egyptian gods and all of that stuff. Khonshu is absolutely real, no question. Uh, we interact not just with Khonshu, but a bunch of other Egyptian gods. Uh, Moon Knight gives up, Mark gives up the Stephen Grant identity over the course of the story, right? He doesn't need it anymore because now he's working for God, basically, right? And we learn that Moon Knight, in fact, has powers that come from uh from Khonshu that are related to whatever phase the moon is in, right? And so when there's no moon, when it's a new moon, um, Moon Knight is just an ordinary guy in good shape who is perfectly sane and just a normal, you know, detective e crime fighter. And to, in, when the moon is waxing or waning, he becomes more powerful until the full moon, he's basically a full on super soldier level guy. He's stronger than Captain America. He's super fast and he's kind of nuts, right? Like he's super aggressive and he's working, you know, like as a, you know, as, as Conchu's full on, you know, punisher of crime basically. Right. And so like, he gets a little kind of like more extreme himself. His fist, if you will. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, that, that character kind of like changes his, his shtick. And in this line, there's no question, Zelenitz thinks that Moon Knight is crazy, right? And so the idea that he's an actual schizophrenic and that, uh, you know, doctors have, in fact, uh, you know, studied him before and diagnosed him with schizophrenia, uh, you know, in his backstory comes out. It's the first actual references are in that limited series where it's not just somebody kind of joking with him. It's, oh, yeah, I've seen doctors. They tell me I'm crazy. It's, they're wrong. You know, he dismisses it, right? He does two more. Marvel fanfare special issues that are the, the the limited series sells reasonably well. He gets two more issues. Steve Englehart is then writing West Coast Avengers. 
and he's super into Moon Knight. He thinks Moon Knight is a super cool character who has never been treated right. He's he's really interested in all of the crazy Egyptian stuff that like goes with it. And so Engelhart basically kind of like takes him to become part of the West Coast Avengers. And so from 1987 to 1989, Moon Knight is a straight up superhero Avenger, you know, fighting cosmic menaces and stuff. He's Khonshu's agent. Uh, he's doing this very kind of like trad superhero story. Um, during that this this run, he gets into a romance with Tigra, um, and they're kind of you know like hot and heavy in the in the background and everything. Um, the storyline that he's in when he first joins involves a bunch of time travel. The West Coast Avengers have to travel back to ancient Egypt, and he's you know like there helping them. And we learn that all of uh, Moon Knight's cool stuff, his his throwing, you know, crescents and his needles and all the other stuff that he throws, were all actually originally designed by Hawkeye when he was Hawkeye was time traveling. So you know, that's like that's all this twisted knot of continuity. Um, and uh, when John Byrne is about to take over after this kind of two year run, um, the last story that Engelhard does is uh, the Avengers discover that Khonshu is literally um, controlling Moon Knight in those times that the moon is full, right? Like he's literally driving Mark's brain, you know, like Khonshu is stepping in and controlling his body and basically possessing him at those points, right? And uh, he's doing more and more extreme stuff and becoming more hyper-violent and kind of like violating the, you know, codes of being an Avenger and that sort of thing. And they decide they're going to help Mark by throwing Khonshu out of his body. And they get Damien Hellstrom to come in and basically do an exorcism on Moon Knight and drive uh, Khonshu out of his body. And that's where the story, that's the end of that storyline, right? When Byrne takes over, Moon Knight is no longer part of the team. We then do a new series uh, he is he's cut out in 1989 that is called Mark Spector colon Moon Knight. And that's by Chuck Dixon. And in that one, he, Moon Knight is now basically kind of, you know, paramilitary Batman, right? There's no Khonshu. Um, he's just like the mercenary guy, guerrilla fighting, streetwise mobsters and everything, um, battling mercenaries. And now he's kind of like operating in the same parts of New York City that like Spider-Man and the Punisher are in right and they he starts moon knight starts having these kind of like interesting relationships with both of those dudes right and you know he's kind of like sits in between them on the you know kind of like morality of killing chart and that sort of thing right like spider-man won't kill at all punisher will kill if somebody sneezes on him moon knight's kind of in the middle somewhere he'll kill if it's you know he thinks it's important but uh you know he tries not to do it casually and the three of them interact with each other a lot their series do a bunch of crossovers um Several writers, after Dixon, get a whack at him during this uh, this this set of stories. Um, as he becomes more Batman-y in this run, we literally have a point where he actually gets a teen sidekick like Robin, who goes who's called Midnight, and he like hero worships Moon Knight, and uh, he wants to you know be just like him and fight crime like him. This goes poorly as you might imagine. And Midnight basically has a bunch of terrible things happen to him. He's captured by villains and he's tortured and they cyborg him and he turns into a villain, et cetera, et cetera. This is just, you know, becomes kind of like a really grim and uh, story. And th these stories aren't really that good, right? Like he's not Batman and he's not good at being Batman. And the stories are just kind of dull Batman, third rate Batman type stories. And that series comes to an end in 1994. 
March 94, issue number 60 of Mark Spector Moon Knight. At the end of this storyline, Moon Knight apparently dies and he's gone. We don't see him again from 1994 until 1998. In 1998, Doug Mensch comes back to Marvel. Jim Shooter is long gone now. All of the problems that Mensch had with uh, with, with with Marvel are long since over. Um, and Mensch has made an awful lot of money writing Batman, actually, for DC over those years. Um, so Mensch gets to do, you know, it's kind of like a, hey, returning to the character kind of thing. Mensch gets to do two different four-issue limited series, one in 98 and one in 99, where he puts Khonshu back in the story, right? Khonshu resurrects. Mark Spector um, brings him back from the dead, though, like officially within the storyline, he's not actually dead. He's just in a, quote, death-like state, whatever that means. And those put those two limited series basically put the weird Egyptian mysticism back into the story and also play up the fact that like Mark Spector had been involved with a bunch of like secret government programs where he'd been brainwashed so many times and mind controlled so many times that he had no idea what was real or not. Right. So like, okay, on the one hand, Khonshu is running around in these stories acting like a real guy and apparently is the one who has brought Moon Knight back from the dead. But on the other hand, we're also establishing that Moon Knight is crazy, right? That he had genuinely is suffering from, you know, like mental illness, mostly caused by the government fucking with him. And so there's no real certainty about, you know, whether Khonshu is real or not, or what's actually kind of happening. And so when those two series are done, that's Mench kind of reestablishing the character. Uh, Moon Knight gets taken up as part of the Marvel Knights storyline in 2000, which is basically a, you know, kind of like, well, we're sort of in the Marvel universe, but not really. And we're telling kind of like darker, weirder, uh, more violent, more sex, more, you know, blood uh, storyline um, about like the dark streets of, you know, New York City. Um, and in that Moon Knight becomes part of that group and his main role in the stories is that he's the guy bankrolling as Stephen Grant, an identity which has come back. He's using his money to like bankroll the Marvel Knights as an organization. And the main thing he wants to do is bring in the Punisher, right? So he's kind of like played as an antagonist to the Punisher, who is basically a very sympathetic character within the Marvel Knights storyline, right? But like the, you know, the, 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 the rest of the Marvel Knights don't think that Punisher, uh, you know, can be allowed to just operate on his own without any kind of like guidelines. So they're trying to bring him in. Um, and that's pretty much where he appears. He shows up in a couple more, you know, guest stars and team ups. He doesn't get his own comic again until 2006. And 2006 we get a new series. This is now Moon Knight Volume 5. And this is Charlie Houston with David Finch on the art. And at the beginning of this storyline, we meet a Moon Knight who is basically, you know, like on his last legs, right? The first couple of issues of this, he's crippled. He suffered so many injuries from his crime fighting and stuff that he can barely walk. He is definitely seems to be crazy. Um, and Frenchie, who just before this scene, in a scene with Mark, uh, you know, visiting Mark, has come out as gay. And Frenchie then gets beaten up for being gay. He gets gay bashed, uh, you know, like in the streets later on. And this inspires Moon Knight to kind of like pray to Khonshu to get his, you know, like energy and vitality and everything back, which he does, and to kind of like return to the streets. 
and, um, you know, like go out and, you know, fight crime on the streets and return to being a, a, a vigilante. Most of this run, there's a, it's a 30 issue run for volume five is unfortunately interrupted right and left by the big events that are happening in Marvel, you know, like at the time, right? All the big crossovers. There's very little space in this series where Moon Knight gets to just be Moon Knight and they get to just tell like Moon Knight stories, right? Because Civil War is happening and her- uh, the, the Osborne stories are happening, right? Siege is happening, all of these events and Moon Knight is in all of them, right? It's especially weird. Because uh, Moon Knight, everything has to have crossovers, and this series really does get screwed over by that. But um, in the Civil War crossover, for instance, it, it's the whole three issues of just first Captain America shows up and then tells Moon Knight he's shit. And then uh, Iron Man shows up and he's like, no, I don't want you on my side. Wait, yeah. But if Captain America come by, comes by again, uh, let me know. Uh, by the way, you suck. <laughs> exactly right yeah we're all absolutely convinced he's nuts and too dangerous to like be on anybody's team yeah absolutely they did just a like the story they were telling in the in charlie houston charlie houston's uh run is is pretty good but it gets interrupted every uh like seven issues uh for like and it's not like he's even got a reasonable role in any of these events right he's not he's not involved in civil war he's not really involved in Siege. He's not involved in fear itself. Uh, it's Osborne, usually- he's kind of like we 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 get to see him kind of like deciding whether or not to work for Osborne, right? That becomes a, like a bit of a plot, and then you're right that that is probably the one that he is the most of, of all these events, and that's of like the five events that go off during this time. Right, exactly. So we keep interrupting for several stories at a time, and then we're just like, didn't we have a plot going back here? Like whatever, whatever happened to that? Yeah, and it's like totally non uh, like almost. I felt like the writer, and I've I've never read anything ab- uh, about it during this, but like he was protesting by just refusing to have any of his uh, main plot show up in the right. uh, in the uh, in the event stuff, like right. in the event issues of Moon Knight. So you have to remember, it wasn't selling that well compared to the other big titles that were connected to the crossover, right? So it was you know easy to kind of eliminate him from the story. Anyway, the series at that point ends with issue number 30 with Moon Knight on the run from the law and he's living in Mexico as cab driver Jake. And then we get a another limited series uh, that follows up on that, that takes place starting with him in Mexico called Vengeance of Moon Knight, in which we bring back Bushman again um, and have an entire like really kind of gruesome story with him. And in that limited series, once again, we kind of like question Kanchu doesn't seem to be real, right? Like Mark is just crazy. Uh, is is just the you know is is the outcome that that writer seems to think that. And then he kind of like shows up briefly. Captain America does recruit him kind of against his will into the Secret Avengers, post uh, you know all of the Osborne foolishness. Basically, when when Steve Rogers is kind of like put back in charge of all of the superheroes and the you know Heroes Reborn stuff, not Heroes Reborn, but Heroes Return. Which is the first time we see Warren Ellis uh, writing Moon Knight, who ends up, uh, we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, But this absolutely. is actually where the uh, Mr. Knight suit originates. The first time we see anything like the Mr. Knight suit. Right. Well, for, and now we go, so from Secret Avengers, we go into the V6, we go into the Bendis stories. Yes. And Bendis has his own take on Moon Knight, which is nothing like anything that has come before, right? This Bendis' version of Moon Knight is completely nuts. 
Mark Spector is now in Hollywood as a TV show producer. Um, he is making a TV show about Moon Knight, about himself. Um, at the same time, Moon Knight is trying to fight crime on the West Coast, and he keeps getting into meetings and debates with, respectively, Captain America, Spider-Man, and Wolverine, all of whom show up in these like guest appearances to basically argue with him. And, you know, criticize him and what he's doing and, and, you know, try to give him superhero advice and that sort of thing. And over the course of this, like, year-long story in it, we then discover that uh, none of these are real. Captain America, Spider-Man, Wolverine, these are only just images in Moon Knight's head. And that, furthermore, Moon Knight has been dressing up like the three of the, each of the three of them, um, taking them on as additional split personalities. So times, sometimes he will go out in, like, a Spider-Man costume and go beat up people as Spider-Man or whatever. And these all get kind of like added into the, you know, bizarre hallucinations that he is also having. Um, and by the end, you're like questioning everything, right? Like, is the TV show even real? Like, what's actually like going on? Is any of this, you know, actually happening at all? Like, what even version is this? Like, is this in continuity? We can't figure out what's happening. Yeah, he like thinks he's on a team with the three of them at some points. Right, yeah. Uh, but they reveal pretty early on that he's in empty rooms talking to him, but they never actually like outright say it. Right. So it's very, it's very oddly written, oddly paced. It's very, uh, very maligned. Yeah. Uh, by uh, you know fans of Moon Knight. Um, yes. Which is and uh, again did not sell well and got canceled after a year. So, which you know, I'm not sure how long Bendis actually intended to keep up this joke to start out with right there's a it's entirely arguable that he only wanted to do it for a year in the first place uh but anyway it did only last a year um the next guy who gets a shot as you say like warren ellis who had done a couple of like brief stories with him previously gets to take over the character full-time in 2014 with the next volume right and and this is the one where the mr knight outfit and persona basically gets full-on introduced as a as a new version of him right like that's kind of like in competition with the others yet another identity he can take on and um in this storyline now his dissociative identity disorder is comes from without right it's not a thing that's like in, internal to him it's a reaction to all of the messing with him that is done by Kanchu. And that is kind of like justified and explained as, well, you know, Khonshu is the moon god, and therefore he has many personalities and many phases. And this kind of like close connection to a god with these like different, uh, you know, phases of existence has basically driven Mark insane. And that's why he is the way he is. That's why he has all of these, uh, you know different personalities and different manifestations and different ways that he acts is because he's been broken by contact with Kanchu, who is absolutely real. Right. right. So. And I, they, they try and explain the Bendis storyline, even by saying that these four roles are always like fulfilled. Uh, it's like the seeker, the watcher, right. The protector in the night. Yeah. Know, the like four different roles that they, they try to, um, they try to, to, you know, reconcile the, the previous series. Right. Um, it's a it's a really the good Captain one. America and Spider Man and Wolverine each represent a phase of Kanju, basically. So Right. Absolutely. Although they aren't using that as a like concept anymore. They they throw that right. out. Yeah. Uh, uh it's Warren Ellis for the first bit and then Greg Smallwood takes over. And he also does a lot of uh really neat stuff with um with it and wanted to do a uh 
at this point wanted to do a Midnight Suns comic that a lot of stuff is leaked out about because get a cover for it and stuff, but they ended up turning him down. Right. But he gets to do that a little later on, sort of. In 2016, Jeff Lemire gets a new volume um, with Smallwood. Right. And the two of them are working together on it. And that one basically begins with Mark Spector in an insane asylum. Right. And now it is, you know, like the battle that that he that Spectre is actually fighting is against Conchu's efforts to basically take him over, right? And like Spectre is trying to like maintain his uh, individual, you know, like identity and uh, you know, like keep this from happening. And much like we see in the actual TV show, this is kind of you know like the 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 asylum is kind of like questioning whether Kanju is real, whether any of this is actually happening, or this is just uh, you know symptoms of Mark Spector's uh, DID, right? Like is this uh, a real thing or not? Um, and so in this storyline, Mark kind of like winds up embracing the other identities the same way that he kind of does with Steven over the course of the show. That's kind of where they got a lot of the elements of the show of him and Steven kind of like coming to an understanding. A lot of sets look of that, of the insane asylum look uh, almost like uh, exact panel recreations in some cases of, of the Jeff Lemire run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so kind of the payoff of that is like the, the, the storyline comes to the conclusion that Mark's DID is real not imposed from the outside, uh, but now it's under control. Now he's actually healing from it, and that Kanchu is an illusion, except, of course, at the end of it, it's like, or is it, right? Like, now we have to throw it all back into question again of like, well, wait a minute, what if they're really, how do you explain this thing if Kanchu isn't real, right? Sort of thing. Um, and so it's that storyline is is the most specific about DID, and it's the first one that probably, like, the writer did any research about DID. Right, Lemire really kind of like takes this seriously as a as a plot point, and clearly has done the reading, you know, and talked to people who suffer from it and everything. And it's kind of like probably the most honest and non exploitative version of it of of all of the stories that Moon Knight has has had about mental illness. Um, I think it's probably the most solid of them, um, and that's the one that suggests that Mark has been dissociative since he was a child. Right, this is not a thing that like just was forced on him after he was shot in the desert. But we get like a bunch of his backstory of like Mark as a kid, uh, and you know like learn uh, you know like of, of stories that he had. Learn that he was the son of a rabbi. We meet another uh, guy who was like pretending to be a rabbi, but he's secretly a Nazi serial killer. You know all of this stuff that like happened to Mark as a child. This run actually was pretty successful. Once again, the modern day numbers that something has to sell to be successful are very different than what they once were. And so this one was considered a, a comparative hit. They decided that they wanted to do a big, uh, you know, kind of like anniversary story. So they changed the numbering of volume eight and started to count all of the previous volumes, right? So if you like add them all together, uh, all of the solo Moon Knight comics to this point, issue number 15 of volume number eight became issue number 188, right? So that we could then build up to a new 200. Right. And this is Max Bemis and Jason Burroughs. Um, and, uh, you know, at this point, once Lemire has left, uh, we've gone back to the Egyptian mythos stuff. We've got a bad guy. Uh, we've got the Sun King stories. We've got a bad guy who's based on Amun-Ra. 
and you know there's a there's a whole bunch of egyptian mysticism and everything that kind of like becomes centered in the story and this volume ends volume 8 ends with issue number 200 which would have been number what 26 of the actual volume if they'd kept the original numbering um and by that point moon knight has become full on the leader of a cult right like he's got a whole bunch of other people who are worshiping kanshu and they consider him to be like you know the avatar and it's just gotten kind of like super creepy and weird and i confess that i had long since stopped reading it at that point yeah it's uh it's still kind of fun i read the whole thing um it's pretty fun through um you know it leads well into what they end up using um uh, later on in the avengers comic which you know is sort of like a yeah we'll talk about that in a minute right um around now uh the they actually do get to do the they kind of do the um you know moon knight is uh involved in the damnation doctor strange comic where he's putting on a team put together by wong yeah which is pretty fun um and that one gets uh it gets referenced a lot in the current run uh, with, uh, you know, um, Moon Knight sort of uh, knowing Wong and uh, a lot of the other more magical... The whole Doctor Strange, you know, supporting cast, basically, that he's hanging yeah. out with, dealing with Clea and all of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's Yeah, the, the series ends with 200, so that's the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then, from 2019 to 2021, he doesn't have an ongoing... But he appears everywhere. He's all over the place, as you say. He's in the the Damnation stories. Um, he meets we Conan. A, he. We also get a uh, we get a annual um, right at the end of that, where he, right. uh, they show that uh, Moon Knight uh, is a um, generational hero. Uh, yes, there are many other Moon Knights as he fights uh, Kang through the. It's a single issue where he fights Kang throughout time. Right. Uh, and they show off, you know, a Cowboy Moon Knight and a Roman Legionnaire Moon Knight and basically all the different pawns of Kanchu, the, you know, uh, millennia. Right. Um, and as part of all that, he chucks some of the Avengers back to the Stone Age yeah. um, in part of this, you know, what turns into like a big fight where basically uh, Mephisto is up to, you know, nasty shenanigans and Moon Knight kind of like pits Khonshu against Mephisto while, you know, like traveling through time and, uh, you know, having having a bunch of other shenanigans uh, that are going on with the rest of the Avengers. In fact, during this story run uh, in 2020, he actually briefly winds up in charge of controlling the Phoenix Force. He becomes one of the people actually inhabited by the Phoenix Force and becomes super cosmic for, you know, about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2021, he finally got a new real volume nine, starting over with number no- with uh, number one, and this is the title that is currently running. Um, and in this story right now, kind of the uh, the the premise of it, the explanation of him is Kanchu is in fact real and responsible for all of the damage that is done been done to Mark's head, even though we're kind of combining the other origin stories, basically. Um, you know, like Mark was kind of like sick, you know, uh, was, was mentally ill as a child. Kanchu took control of him and made it much worse. Um, Kanchu is absolutely real and not an illusion, but Mark doesn't worship him anymore. Mark has decided that Kanchu is unworthy of his worship um, and has basically chucked him out and no longer, uh, you know, is dealing with, 
the his cult or any of the other kind of like cosmic hoo-ha that Kanchu has been involved in over the last several years and is kind of like returned to street level crime fighting while still kind of like mixing it up with the weird mystic stuff. Right. Uh, Cause this all spins out of uh, him uh, attacking the Avengers uh, and uh, black Panther uh, and uh, all those guys with Kanchu to try and take over the uh, because of things happening in the Avengers comic um, at the mm-hmm. end of that kind of ask if he wants to join because he, you know, uh, ends up doing the right thing, but he basically tells Black Panther to sod off and goes to found his midnight mission where he uh, is, they're very much trying to uh, play up a lot of that uh, man of the people shadow style. Um, you know, he does favors for people right. uh, yeah. and then owe him, but less that they owe him and more that he's like a priest and considers himself the guardian of the place where he lives. Right. Um, they also have revealed that there is more than one uh, Fist of Conchu at a time, um, as they added uh, Dr. Bashir uh, to the series, um, who is uh, a new member of his, which is the Hunter's Moon, um, basically a far more devout version of, uh, you know, a priest of Conchu. Right. Um, and, who genuinely uh, believes that Conchu is worth following, as opposed to Mark who's rejected him. Right. And you know, and he fights vampires, so it's it's really good. Um, it's well worth it's well worth looking at. Zodiac is uh, involved as one of the people, um, and he's another really weird character. So, um, and he just for the first time ever got two ongoings at the same time, as he's got Black, White, and Blood coming out, which hit the. Stand. Well, but that's a limited series, right? Isn't it? I thought. You're right. Sorry, he's got two titles coming out at the same yeah, time. Yeah, two titles coming out at the same time. Yes, one one, one is the regular, one's the limited series. So, right. Um, yeah, first time. I I just I said it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, you're good. <laughs> two, series, two things running at once. Right. Um. So yeah. So I think that's pretty much everything. Uh, I think having... that's all the explaining we got on this guy. So if there's anything else that uh, we did not explain to your satisfaction, uh, why don't you come on the Discord and uh, become a Patreon and yell at us about it? Yeah, I'll, I love talking about Moon Knight. So yeah, please come yell at me. <laughs> right. We should, we should note, by the way, that this was an episode. I mean, we were probably going to get around to it anyway. But uh, specifically, this was an episode requested by a Patreon backer. Um, who basically gave us orders to do it. So this is us, you know, like fulfilling that. So if you want to be the kind of person who gives us orders and uh, tells us what to explain, uh, you know, this is this is the way that you do it, is the way that Peter did it. So this one is for you, Peter. Absolutely. Whatever, whatever you want us to explain, we will figure it out. Right. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I've been Steve Pascoe. I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming. Bye.